All right, y'all ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, keep with me, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Did you feel heaven tremble at those words? Yeah, me either. How many of you talk like that? How many of you, how many use the word art this week and not in like painting and stuff? Only when you're trouble. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven. Did anyone pray this week and go, oh Father, that art in heaven? You do realize that's a 1611 translation 1611 that's how they talked back then it is rich I'll give you that but it's not you it's not you how many of you use the word hallowed this week how many of you even know what hallowed means (laughs) holy it is the word for holy but Look, look at the language. How many of you need to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Lead us not into temptation. Do you even know what you're praying right there? God, drag me kicking and screaming away from this source of temptation. Your will be done? Really? Do you pray like this? Which do you think God wants? The words or the heart? Is it, is it the prayer? The words we actually say, the, the prayers, the our Father who art in heaven, is that what moves the heart of God? Or is it the prayer, the one doing the praying? Which is more effective? Which one does God respond to? You know, it's, it's about a relationship. One of the painful things about being a father of now three teenagers as of Monday. Woo-woo. There you go, Courtney. All right. The, one of the painful things is watching goobers like this actually have relationships with the members of the opposite sex. And to see and to feel the horrible awkwardness of 98% of their time together. Y'all with me? Parents, you, you, maybe you've seen it. Maybe you remember it when you were that age. All right? Jeffrey's still working through it. All right? <laughs> he's still working through it. No, but, but just to see, and you know, I was talking, I'll pick on Caden since he's not in here. You know, I was talking with Caden last night about this girlfriend he had uh, at the beginning, beginning of the school year. And I just remember just the, how awkward I felt for him. And what I want, what I want for you guys is to move from that junior high, middle school awkwardness, junior high dance of girls on one side, guys on the other, and you, you kind of have these sort of encounters, but you just quickly run away. I want you to move from this sort of middle school, junior high mentality and feeling in relationship and prayer to being that couple that you just want to say, go away because you're all mushy-gushy and you're all with that goofy smile on your face all the time. Remember that, that look we all had right before we got married? Okay. You remember? No, Shay, you don't remember that? Okay, good, good. Hey, but, yeah, I mean, my goodness, Ashley's right in the middle of this because she's having gushy-bushy stuff on the phone now with Caleb because he's way away and she's been gone for a while. So there's that relationship. And I want us to, over the course of this next week, to really experience prayer in the way that God intended it, in the way that Jesus knew it could be, 
and in the way he told his little brother James about it. You see, that's the key to what we've been studying in James. Don't read James as just another book with a bunch of words. It's just a no context to it, no author to it, no atmosphere to it, no any of this stuff. Read it as if Jesus' little brother is writing down all the things that Jesus told him. The things that it really just came to life after this and to write all this down and to give it to the church, the early Jewish church, who then God allows it to pass on to us. So here's my question. Is it the prayer or is it the prayer that moves the heart of God? And that beautiful relationship that is prayer. That's what we want to focus on today. That's what we talk about today. Let's start reading a little bit. Uh, I'm in uh, James 5, verse 13. <clears throat> is anyone among you suffering? You may have a different word there. Trouble. Trouble. Okay. It's, it's our word. Uh, it's, if you back up a little bit, you can see, where is it? Um, in verse 10. <clears throat> it says, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. Exact same word right here. So think about this. What, what is this word? Is anyone suffering or troubled among you? That's what the prophets experienced. Anybody read about Jeremiah and what the kings did to him? I, I mean, that's trouble, suffering. It's not because my cell phone battery's dying. It's not, what am I going to do? All right? First world problems, right? This is the prophets. This is what the prophets endured. Isaiah spoke until they cut him in half with a saw. None of us getting there. All right? This, this is suffering. This is the suffering he's talking about here. So he says, is anyone among you suffering? Going through what the prophets went through. What should you do? He should pray. Now give me some definition. You guys are very spiritual people. Godly, godly church walking into kind of people. Bible reading people. What is prayer? Give me your best shot. Somebody's in the elevator with you. They know you're a Christian. You got, you got about 12 seconds to define prayer. And they turn to you and you're in the elevator and they go, okay, prayer thing. What is this prayer thing? You got to the, the elevator hits the bottom to explain it to them. What do you got? Talking to God. Simple as that? What else? Anything else? It is a conversation, which means you do what? Not only talk, but listen. That's usually, you want to improve your prayer life? Shut up. Sure. And it is a conversation. What are the dynamics of the conversation, though? Who are you speaking to? Have you ever considered that? We have some issues. Like I said, I have teenagers in my house. So there's every now and then we have to set the, the dynamics once again as to who is speaking and to whom they are speaking. And we have to set that every now and then, don't we, Holland? All right? We got to reset that. All right? I'm sure you parents, you'll, you'll get there. Danny, Sarah, trust me. Woo! That's going to be fun. All right? You're going to have to reset the dynamics. So how do you speak to the creator of the universe? How do you speak to the one who spoke humanity into being? How do you speak to the one who loved you, you, enough to send his son to die at Calvary for you? How do you speak to that person? And there was a Jars of Clay song that says, seems too, seems too easy to call you Savior and not close enough to call you God. It, it was such an amazing thing of, what is this dynamic? Who am I actually speaking to? So when you're suffering, what should you do? You should pray. You should just stop. You should realize that God is in control of all this. That the one doing the persecuting is not in charge. God is in charge. And if you're suffering, God's allowing it. He's probably trying to teach you something. He's probably trying to eliminate something. He's trying to correct something. He's trying to move from point A to point B. So what do you do in that? Do you sit there and complain about the suffering? Do you got, ask God, please get me out of this suffering. Get me out of this suffering. Get, God's going, no, I'm allowing it for a reason. Why would I let you out of it? Have that conversation. Because what happens at the end of the conversation when you not only talk, 
but you also listen. You can't walk away thinking, maybe God's trying to do something here. I can handle this then. All right, key one. If anyone among you is suffering, he should pray. What an amazing opportunity we have to do that. I just love that. All right. Is anyone cheerful? What's, your, what's the word you have? Happy. Happy? Wow, I hate that word. <laughs> why? Because you're happy because something is happening. And what happens when something doesn't happen? We fall short of happiness. All right. What else do you have? It's the word euthumos. It means good passion. All right. So if you're cheerful, what should you do? should sing. Some of you should not do that. <laughs> hum. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. All right, just acknowledge that. Just hum. Sing to yourself. All right? Sing in the shower where no one can hear you. Whatever you got. But, you know, but sing. Do we do that? Sing a happy song? All right, I feel like a Disney movie is coming upon me here. After, all right? No, but it's what? If you're suffering... You should pray. And I really hate the word should pray. Because how many times do we think of prayer as something we're supposed to do? How many of you have ever had this thought, I should pray more? Do you get what a really bad statement that is? I should pray more. (laughs) Heidi, you live in Atlanta. You should go to more Braves games. You should. And it's a, but it's a struggle, isn't it? She should not. not. Wait till next year. Wait till next year. But I, I mean, you got the brace right here. You should. Come on, Heidi. You really should. Can I encourage you in that? To go. No, 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 no. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. How often do we need to? I used to give tours at Turner Field. Every single person in North Carolina has come to Turner Field to take a tour. Every single one of them. No one from Atlanta comes to take tours. Only when people visit from North Carolina, they bring their family to take a tour. And these people would walk in and you would think, oh, the angels are singing as they're walking through the doors. And, and we who live within driving distance, and I mean, please people, the seats are a dollar, all right? And trust me, you can sit anywhere you want these days. How often do we get, do you see what the perspective on prayer is? I really should pray more. Or I get to pray today. I have the opportunity to sit before my Heavenly Father, to speak to Him, to listen to Him. And not just in times when I'm suffering, in good times. You see, prayer can incorporate this idea of praise and singing. It literally means, the word here is salto. We get our word psalm from this. Sing praises. And, and I'm sitting there this week and I'm reading this. I'm going, that is so familiar. There's something in there. So if anyone's suffering, he should praise. Anyone cheerful, he should sing praises. And I thought, there's somewhere in the text where those things happen together. Praying and singing. Praying and singing. Suffering and cheerful. Where in the world would that be? In a Philippian jail. What are Paul and Silas doing at midnight? Praying and singing. Why? Because they're suffering and they're cheerful. They're happy. How in the world can those two things coexist? How can you suffer like the prophets suffered and be cheerful in it? Such that you're in a Philippian jail and you're praying and you're singing and all the other people in the jail are going, what is going on with those guys? What do they have? Now the earthquake hits, what happens? The jailer comes in, sees the door open, pulls out his sword, he's about to kill himself. And they go, whoa, whoa, we're still here. Sorry, we were back here praying and singing a little bit. You may not have heard us. We're still here. And what does the jailer immediately say? What must I do to be saved? What is it you have that I don't? You see, prayer is a conversation and it has this amazing calming effect on the events and the circumstances of your life. And you neglect them. You neglect them to your own detriment. So is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing. 
Let's get another circumstance in here. Is anyone among you sick? You ever have sick? It's right, asthenos. It means to be without strength. All right? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. So we've got our three circumstances. If you're suffering, pray. If you're happy, cheerful, sing. If you're sick, asthenos, coughing, all right, we're going to pray over Ashley back here. All right, no, we call for the elders of the church and let them play too. How often do we think, oh, if I'm, if I'm sick, I should pray. And I'll just keep it to myself. I'm kind of an a introverted person. All right, if you've known me for any length of time, you know I married Ashley, so in social circumstances, I don't have to talk. <laughs> hey, it works, Shay. Find you one, all right? So, so it, it's, it's this dynamic in play. And, and I remember when I had kidney stones. I had kidney stones. I didn't want anybody to know, okay? Now, I didn't have them bad. I wasn't like doubled over trying to stab myself, pull them out or anything. It wasn't that bad, all right? And, and I... I went in and I did the whole little sound thing. They blast him. Guess what Ashley does? She calls the church office to let him know I won't be in today because he's got kidney stones and he has to have a procedure. Barbara Clark, y'all remember her from Burn Hickory, the prayer ministry lady, all right, she's awesome. She's about four foot nothing of praying woman, all right? Whole church by noon knows I've got kidney stones and... Everybody wants to pray over me. And I'm like, oh, what have I done? Why did I let Ashley know I had kidney stones? <laughs> I thought I need to back up the truck because I just, I don't like, but here's what James is saying. James is saying prayer is not this lone ranger event. There are times you got to open the doors and let the community be involved in this. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there among you. There's power in the community of prayer. Look how James plays this out. Now, here, let me, let me put, something, put a stop on something. Stop the thought of praying over sick people right here. I know your translation talks about sick people. I know it talks about healing. But I'm going to put out exactly what it says. And, and let's not have this narrow, narrow version where, okay, this passage talks about praying for sick people. Because there's a broader context of this thing that I'm going to bring out for you. But I want you to see this. But I want you to see this community aspect of it. Um, Where are we at? Verse uh, 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. Anybody got a difference from sick person? Please. The one one who is sick. No, that doesn't work because we still got sick in there. I don't like the word sick. Sick's a bad word here. I don't like it. Let me fix it. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. And the Lord will... Restore him to health. What do you have? Raise him up up much better. All right? Again, let's take, because here's what what can happen here. We have this very narrow thing of, if they're sick, you go pray for them. And then the prayer of faith will heal this sick person and it will restore this sick person to health. That's not what James is trying to say here. All right? The words get a little bit different. He says this, the prayer of faith will save. It's word sozo. It means save. It's sort of the generic word in the Bible for save. It will save this kind of person. It doesn't use the word astonos. Camno. This is the word it uses. The prayer of faith will save the camno. It doesn't say the astonos. Now, you're going, who cares, Bubba? What does camno mean? You've got to tell us that, right? We'll come over a couple of pages here. Hold your place there and come over here to Hebrews 12. Because I want you to see this word, and I, and, I, and I hope this will sort of help you understand how I want to change this dynamic and not to go with this narrow version of just sick people, but just broaden this thing out a little bit. And I hope you'll see it when we read this. <coughs> Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we ha- also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose 
heart. Does that say so that you won't get sick, so that you won't get a cold and lose heart? Do you see the context here? This is the word camno. So when it says camno in here, it's the idea to lose heart, to grow weary. So take this back over to James. Come back over. The prayer of faith will save who? The one who's growing weary. Now, does that fit the context of James 5? Does it fit the context of the prophets who are enduring suffering? This is the context of it. The context is not, hey, let's, let's talk about how do we deal with sick people. No. The context here for James is, how do we deal with weary people? Why? Because who's he writing to? He's writing to the Jewish churches spread out all over the Mediterranean area who are facing what? Suffering, persecution. Read James 1, read James 5. That's what the whole thing is about. So the prayer, the prayer of faith will save the weary person. Anybody weary in here this morning? Today, not today. You're okay today. Yesterday, not so much. Today. Who's praying for you? Who's praying for you in your weary moments? I love that you pray for yourself. I, I, you know, we do need to pray for ourselves. But the church is about a community. The church is about pray for each other. The prayer of faith will save, will rescue the weary person. Risking him from what? From losing heart. You ever seen that person? You ever seen that person who's just lost heart? They're just done. They got nothing left. And they got nobody praying for them. What's going to happen? Are they going to snap out of it? They're just going to get better. What happens when the church comes around? What happens when the church steps in and starts to pray for them? What happens when the church surrounds them with prayer? The prayer of faith will save the weary person. And then what? And the Lord will restore him to health is how the Holman translates it. It's the word igairo. every other situation she used to raise up. Jesus was raised from the dead. The man on the mat laying there for 38 years was raised up. It's not about healing. This, don't, don't run to this little narrow version of this passage. The prayer of faith will save the weary person and the Lord will raise him up. Anybody ever seen God just raise somebody up? They were down. They were out, depressed, done and the prayer of faith comes around them and God just raises them up and they walk away from this going I am stronger than I ever was because the people around me prayed for me strengthened me and I am where I am today because the Lord raised me up it wasn't I pulled myself up by my bootstraps I was weary and I just sucked it up and I got after it no what a beautiful testimony when someone says these people they just started praying for me and like Rob Bell said, you can feel the prayers. Why? Because the prayer of faith will save the weary person and the Lord will raise him up. And bonus, if he's committed sin, he will be forgiven. There's an amazing connection between physical healing and spiritual healing in these texts. That the one who is physically sick can be made physically well in the same way the one who is spiritually sick, burdened by sin, can be made spiritually well. And the healing is right there. Go back to the text. Here we go. <clears throat> the prayer of faith will save the sick person. The Lord will restore him in health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, if we're going to be in community and we're going to have sins and they're going to be forgiven, how's that going to happen? We're going to have to do what? Therefore, 16, therefore do what? Confess your sins to one another. Now, I've seen this kind of go off the rails. 
When Ashley and I were in seminary, um, we tended to skip chapel services. Um, they had a great pancake place right down the road, Buck 50, all you can eat pancakes on Wednesday mornings. Danny, I'm serious. I mean, we just flat tore it up, and I led my beautiful fiance astray as we started dating and led her to Ralph's many a day. Uh, well, one of these chapel services we decided to skip, they had this group come in or something. It was a, sort of a revival thing going a couple of hundred miles away, and so our people at seminary decided, let's bring these guys in and kind of let, let's experience what they're experiencing with this revival. It was kind of one of those things that started as a revival or a Sunday night thing, and then it kind of turned into a revival, and then it turned into a every single night meeting for months on end. I forget, I forget all the dynamics of it. But they brought them in, and, and they said, let's have just these guys speak during chapel. Started at 10, what, about 10 o'clock, something like that, all right? Started about 10 o'clock, and usually it ended by 11, so you're back to class right after that. Well, they started this service at seminary, mind you, okay? Like, godly people, right? Right? Theoretically, <laughs> all right? It's a little sketchy sometimes. All right, but theoretically, godly people in the room, and they kind of start this thing, and what it generally turned into, it, where the location 100 miles away, where it turned into a time where everybody just started confessing their sins. Well, again, Ashley and I are sucking down some pancakes at Ralph's, and seminary gets flipped upside down by these people. And here's the thing. Open mic, confession time in front of the seminary student body. There's a, there's a dynamic there of people who don't dare want to get up in front of their peers and future pastors and speak. But there's an open mic with future pastors who love to speak. You with me here? So there was this, I think about eight o'clock that night, Ash and I were studying in the library. I don't know why we're doing that. All right. Um, and we noticed that it was still going on. 10 o'clock in the morning. It's eight o'clock at night now in seminary. And there are people that are confessing their sins. Now, I'm all for it in a room like this where we've known each other, we've known each other, we know the good, the bad, and the ugly in here, all right? And we can pray for each other. We're talking about 500 seminary students in a room that started confessing and started confessing to people. I mean, not like I, I, I stole an extra packet of sweet and loaf from Chili's and put it in my pocket so I'd have it for later. No, I'm not. I'm talking affairs. I'm talking, you name it. They started confessing it there. Now, like I said, this can go off the rails. I don't think a public place with 500 people in a room is where you start confessing your sins, especially affairs that you had not told your wife about. So you see what I mean by this can go off the rails? There is a context and a place and a time to confess your sins to one another. There are times when maybe you do need to share a sin or something to struggle with this whole body. Maybe there are times when you need to just call me on the phone and say, Bob, I got to get this off my chest. I got I to tell somebody about this. And you can tell me or you can tell someone else in this room, Chris, as an elder, anybody in this room, you can go to. I think there's a context for that and I think that's how that needs to be handled. And if it's a situation where you're comfortable with sharing it with the whole church, we can work that out. But there is something powerful to this because what happens when you confess to one another in a safe place? Now what are those people capable of doing on your behalf? Praying for you. The prayer of faith can save the weary person. I love the way David describes the effect of sin on his own life. He says, my bones were crushed under the weight of my sin. Twice he uses that sort of analogy of this idea of his bones were weary. They were being crushed under the weight of his sin. Can you imagine what it was like? Y'all think about this. When, remember when Nathan comes to David, all right, uh, first, uh, 2 Samuel 12. Nathan comes to David and says, hey, I want to tell you a little story. I'll tell you a story about this guy who's got thousands of sheep and this one guy who has one sheep and this guy who had thousands came and just stole the guy's one sheep away and ate it, all right? 
And then the other guy, and David is so angry and so mad. And he goes, who is this guy? Let's kill him and make him pay back all this stuff. And Nathan said what to him? That would be you. And what does David do in this moment? Does he go, no, it wasn't. I didn't do it. <sighs> cathartic. You with me? Do, do, can you feel the cathartic moment when he says, I am that man? Ha! <sighs> I have been wanting to get that out for a year now. I've been wanting to get rid of this forever. And see, this is the beauty of prayer in a corporate setting. We get to play together. We get to work together. We get to hold each other up in different circumstances. But if you're going to play Lone Ranger, why would you do that? Why would you take that weight of all this on your own? Are you ashamed? Good. You should be. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. I used to tell kids, we used, I used to make kids read out their grades in class. You know why? I would tell them that so shame is a wonderful thing. It'll cause you not to do the thing you just did that made you ashamed. It was a good thing. I, used, I tell you, I used to seat people according to their grade in the class. I had the seat of shame and dishonor. That's what I called it. I was brutal, man. But you know what? But you know what? Yeah, this is why I don't teach in school. That's why I never taught in public school, all right? No, but I, I, would, I would do that. And I would sit there and I would say, this is a seat of shame and dishonor. And you should be embarrassed because you're better than this. And I tell the story. I had one girl. She was at junior, junior in high school dating like this 30-year-old. All right, you know, that, you, you've met that girl. All right, she's dating the 30-year-old. She thinks she's so mature and so cool and all this stuff that she didn't have to study. She thought she could just phone it in. Well, she didn't get to phone it in in my class, all right? And so she ended up making like a 63, one, nine weeks, and she earned her spot in the seat of shame and dishonor. And she was embarrassed and she was mad. And I said, good. And she sat there. You know where she sat the next nine weeks? In the very back, because she wasn't going to play that game anymore. You should be ashamed of your sin, but that shouldn't prevent you from being, having this cathartic effect of telling somebody else about it so they can, what? Pray for you. They're not gossip requests. They're prayer requests. If someone trusts you with something like that, take that trust. Do something with it. Go before the throne of God. Beg his mercy for that person. Don't get in the way of God. Don't say, well, God told me to tell you this. No, no, no. Put them in front of God and say, God, tell them what you need to tell them. Whole different idea of praying. Too many people like to get in the way of people when they pray. Well, you always say, if I'm going to pray for a court, I'll say, God, God, here you go. I need you to tell me so I can tell court. No, 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 no. I want to do this. I want to say, court, get up here. Look, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray that God just wears you out for the next two minutes. Go, God. You get it. That's how I want to pray for people. I don't want to get up here and go, okay, God, I'm so spiritual. Let me tell him what he needs to hear. He doesn't, they don't need to hear from you. You're not going to heal them. You're not going to forgive them. God's going to do that. So when you pray for people, get this imagery, get this posture where you're putting them before the throne of God saying, God, do your thing. If I need to say anything, if I need to do anything, I'm here, but you take care of them, not me. Because I'm just as fallen as they are. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Why? Because the urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, that's a version you've never heard before, right? Why? Because what have you heard? How have you heard it translated? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. <laughs> Ah, groceries. What are we going to do with stuff like that? All right. So we don't talk like that. Did anyone use the word availeth this week? Did you use the word effectual or fervent? Danny? Any fervency? In, yeah, not this week. All right. You've been, you've been dealing with sort of the low lives this week. Haven't really been on the, your normal par, friends. All right. Let, 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 let's. I, well, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to write the phrase up here in Greek. All right, and then let's dissect and let's try to put this thing together. All right, and I want you to see what this verse really says. Okay, so here's, here's the verse in Greek. Paulus, 
Iskuo, Deesis, Dekayu, <clears throat> M. Er. Gay. Oh. Alright, now, you got all that? Everybody got all that? Alright, now let's translate this. Polis, what does polis mean? Polygram? Poly. Many. Many. Much. Let's, let's call it much so it makes it better. Alright? Much. Alright? Much is kuo. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Alright? Um, accomplish. Prevail. Alright? When it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, this is the word here. Alright? So it's to be strong. Um, accomplish is the word I'll put in here. It has, it has strength to it. Okay? So not just some strength, right? But much strength. Okay? So let's put these two together. Okay? Deesis is the idea to plead. Or a pleading. Alright? In prayer, you have different types of, of things you can do when you pray, right? Is your prayer life just a list of I want, I want, I want, I want, I want? Is that, is that an effective prayer life? No, that's called Santa Claus. That's called walking up and going, here, let me sit in your lap. Here's what I want. Da, 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 da. Okay, mom told me I got to go. See you later. All right, and you get up and leave. Is that a prayer life? We, we said, Mark, Mark, you said it was a conversation. All right, and, and it better be. It, I'm just telling you, you, you want to have a horrible prayer life? Get your list out, read your wants, and then walk away. You're not going to feel anything in prayer at that point. So here's the thing. This idea of deesis is the word, we get our deo from it. It's, it's the idea of pleading. It's begging. God, I need this. The Syrophoenician woman, you remember her? Her daughter was sick, and what did she do with Jesus for days? Follows him around and says what? You have to come heal my daughter. You have to come heal my, this pleading, all right? The dad who goes to the disciples, and the disciples can't cast out the demons, and Jesus says, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. He pleads, this word deesis, all right? This is this idea of pleading, all right? Dekayu is our word for righteous. All right, and it says in a righteous man or righteous one or righteous, it's just sort of a generic word for righteous, all right? And then this word, energeo. Anybody see an English word in here? You see that, energy? All right, let's just start energy in here. Now, I'm going to get all a weird sort of grammatical on you here. You ready? This is a present middle participle. All right? I know. You just fell off the truck on me. All right. Here's what it is. A participle is a word that kind of looks like a verb. So this would be to energize or to something like that. So it's this idea of a, a verb that acts like an adjective. So it's a describing word. All right? So let's take off energy here, and let's call this energetic, maybe. All right? We could say energizing one. He's the energizing one in the group. Okay? So it's a, it's a describing word. Now, it's got to describe something. So what word is it describing? So much strong, or much accomplishes much, the pleading of the righteous energetic. Is this an energetic Pleading? Is it is an energetic plea? If I'm really energetic when I pray, is God going to go, now I'll answer that prayer? Because, because our personalities come into play, don't they? Have you been around energetic people before? That are just, whoo, right? You know, they don't need coffee. They are coffee, all right? They just... Embody God. Yeah, Tom. All right, there. I wasn't going to say it, but I'll, I'll let you have that, Kathy. All right? Kathy, if you and Tom are praying at some point, and Tom's Tom, and his energetic prayer, is his prayer going to avail over your more, let's say, calm, thoughtful, <laughs> thoughtful prayer? I, do you see how the personality can come into play? So is James saying, if you'll be really exciting... And really energetic in the words that you use, then 
Then the, these energetic pleadings, that will be strong. That will much avail it. Yes, Jay? I don't want to put too much hype into the word energetic as in excited. Okay, I don't don't go there. There's an energy and excitement. Those are two different things. Okay, energy means something's working inside of you. Literally, that's what it means. In work, ergon, ergonomics, how things work. All right, so inside there's something working. There's something stirring inside of you. Now, can that be expressed in your personality? What if you are an energetic person and you have something just working inside of you, some pleading inside of you that's working? Can that come out as very bubbly, excited, energetic? Yes, but that's your personality. So is it, here's my question, and this is what I want you to think through. Is it the words? Is it the prayer? that needs to have the, this energy to it? Or is it the person, the prayer, who needs to be energized? Well, it says in the statement that the prayer is powerful and effective. So And that's why I wanted to do this, so you see that all those words at the end of verse 16 literally made up of five words. So our English translation puts us in a position where we got to sort of, well, that's what the Bible translator said. They're not always right. And we have brains. And we can look at this, but we got to ask the question. If my words are energetic, is that what fixes things? We just, we just quoted the Lord's Prayer. I mean, you can't get much better than that, right? We had Jesus's Actual words. And that moved the heart of God, didn't it? Couldn't you feel that prayer? We were just raptured with the Holy Spirit right there while we were saying that. How many of you felt that? How many of you have ever felt that praying the Lord's Prayer? Just when you're in a group, you know, before a football game and the team's there, and you just went, whoa, I just got to sit down because that was so moving and revival right there just almost broke out as we quoted the Lord's Prayer and then we went around there and played the football game. No, it's not the words. And here's what I want to get through to you. It's not the actual words you say. It's not the script that you read. It's you. What prevails? What's much strong? What accomplishes much? The pleadings of the righteous one who is energized, who is stirred up, who's got something moving in them, compassionate, for the one in their midst who has sin. A longing for the one who has a lacking. You see, we, we can't be energetic with our words if we're not energetic ourselves. It's fake. It's pretend. And God doesn't look at that and go, oh, listen to their words. They're so energized. Listen to their words. No, he says what? Look at their hearts. You think about someone like Hannah in the Old Testament. She just wanted a child. Did God look at Hannah and listen to Hannah and go, wow, angels, listen to the words coming out of this lady's mouth. I've never heard anything so articulate. No. It's you. You energized, pleading before the throne of your Father accomplishes much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would rain. He then prayed again, and the sky gave rain. What's James saying? He's saying, you should hear Elijah's words. Elijah's words, his vocabulary was very similar to ours. That's not what he's saying, is it? No, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What's James telling us? 
What's James telling this first century audience of Jewish believers spread out all over the Mediterranean? You could be just like Elijah. Elijah didn't have some special articulate vocabulary. He was just like you. He has the same opportunity to come before the throne of God as you do. The question is, are you passionate about this? Are you energized about this? Now, let's do this. I want you to see what's going on here. Come over here to 1 Kings 17. We'll look at this real quick and I want, we'll get out of here. 1 Kings 17. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except to my command. You know what's interesting is? We don't even have any words of Elijah. It doesn't even say in here that Elijah prayed, and that's what moved the hand of God. But that's James' interpretation. We don't have the words. Now, do we know he didn't pray? We do know he was very burdened by the kingship of King Ahab, who was a horrible, horrible, despicable pagan king who worshipped the Baals. Something in him was moved. It was energized. And he prayed. James says he prayed. Now, either James was mistaken or we just don't have the account here. He was moved. He was energized. And his prayer availeth much. Now, three and a half years later, come over here to 18. In 18, we get the, the, the time with Elijah at Mount Carmel. Now, this is the end of this three and a half years. Elijah kind of shows up. He kind of disappeared for three and a half years. Ahab's been looking for him. He says, I'll show up, but I'm going to show up at Mount Carmel. You go bring your best 450 Baal prophets, and let's have a little competition so we can end this whole pagan idol worship. So they have this little competition, right? Y'all remember this one. He shows up, says, you guys go to it. You pray, you beg, you plead, you do whatever you need to do to get your sacrifice and get it burned up before, the, before your God. So they go at it. These Baal worshipers, they are going at it for hours and hours and hours. They're praying, they're cutting themselves, they're doing all stuff. And what's Elijah doing the whole time? Mocking them. He's talking trash. He's that guy in about the third row behind the other team's bleacher, uh, the other team's, the team's bench, just wearing them out. I think your God's asleep. I think he must be doing something else right now. I don't think your God's paying attention. A lot of commentaries say, he starts saying, I think your God may be going to the bathroom because he ain't hearing you. He ain't listening to you. All right? And Elijah's just wearing him out. And by the end of this thing, he goes, fine, get out of my way. And he goes and he says, look, soak my sacrifice over and over and over again, water everywhere. And he turns and he goes, God, you stuck my neck out. You've got to come through on this. And all of a sudden, what happened? Fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes every bit of water around there. And he says, don't let any of those Baal-worshipping prophets get away. None of them. No one survives. They killed every single one of those prophets right then and there. Now, what just happened to Baal worship in Israel at that moment? Over. Why did Elijah pray? Because they're worshiping Baal. God, don't let it rain for three years, three and a half years. Baal worship is over. 18, um, where am I? 1842. Yeah, with me? So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Is he praying driving to work? Is he praying just casually just sitting somewhere? What does this posture convey? He bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. 
posture, your posture conveys your energy. If you've never found yourself on your knees before a holy God, you are not energized. You are not in a position to really pray prayers that availeth much, that accomplish much. Your posture, and don't get legalistic on me here. Don't say, well, if I kneel down, now God will answer my prayer. No, 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 no. Maybe you just need to be the kind of person who cannot abide by the thought of pleading before a holy God, standing on your feet, driving down the road, and think this is prayer. There's something in you that's got to hit your knees at some point. When you're speaking, conversing with a holy God, you've got to hit your knees at some point. He tells his guy, go look for rain. Seven times he sends him out. Seven times he comes back. I don't see anything coming. Go back again. God's going to give us rain. Goes back, goes back. The seventh time he goes out, he goes, I see a cloud. It's about the size of a man's fist. And within minutes, it is pouring down rain. Because the pleading of an energized, moved, motivated, stirred up righteous person availeth much. Number one, I get to pray. Not supposed to pray. It's not that I should pray. No, I get to pray. I get to come before a holy God and pour out everything I need to pour out before him. What an amazing, awesome privilege we have. Number two, we need to pray. Prayer is a community event. We're not lone rangers here. There's a corporate blessing to this when we pray together. And number three, it's not about the prayer. It's about the prayer. God wants you. God wants your thoughts. God wants your words. God wants your honest, honest appeal. He doesn't need quoting scripture. He wants to hear your heart. Are we neglecting the romance of this beautiful conversation to our own detriment? Let's pray.